Special dedication, Wendell Wallace here of Wendell's World of Sports. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. Sit back, relax, enjoy, because my podcast is something like a phenomenon. Let me take some time, a moment or two, and speak on the most unique, entertaining sports talk podcast you can listen to. Wendell's World in Sports is the perfect prescription for those who are wishing for a sports podcast show that can flow with the knowledge and opinions of what's happening in the everyday of the NFL and NBA. Whoa, don't get upset. I didn't forget to represent my love for college football and basketball. Baseball, the UFC, and my Georgetown Hoyas with America's coach Patrick Ewing. So every minute I'm on the mic, complete perfection is what I'm pursuing. Like a Baltimore Raven, it's a fight I'm craving for some fool step to me misbehaving. I'll unleash my inner podcasting beast, your soul I won't be saving. My podcast is full of action like my man Jackson, first name Lamar. Remaining headlay and steady makes me a podcasting superstar. By far slinging my thoughts and opinions around like Derek Carr about the current news and the latest sporting events. My skills on the mic are beyond heaven sent. So repent in that for forgiveness and bear witness to the latest and current episode as speaking on this past week. Weekend, holiday weekend as college and professional football is about to explode. I'll take every single talking point apart right from the start. The best way to describe my podcast in particular was articulated by the legend, the great one, the hitman, Bret Hart. The best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. Wendell's World of Sports. Download, subscribe, rate, review, and enjoy anywhere, anyhow, any way you listen to your favorite podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Rip, Roin, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. Man, I am Rip Roaring and ready to go. Welcome to Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So doggone glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Bonjour, bonsoir, que pasa, mi amigos, mi amo, Wendell Wallace. Good morning, good abend, konnichiwa, shalom, watalam alaikum. Oh man, so good to be back on the stick. So good to be speaking into a microphone again. Wendell's World of Sports. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports special dedication for those who are listening. If you truly like this podcast, if you like what you're listening to, if you could do me a favor, please, I would very much appreciate it. Anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcast, talking about Amazon, iTunes, Spotify, um, iHeart, if you could just do me a favor, if you could give me them five stars, man, I would very much appreciate it. If you could just subscribe, download, Rate, review, follow, most importantly, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to. Man, I would very much appreciate it. And if you want to see how the sausage is made, shall we say, in terms of uh, me doing my podcast, go over to my YouTube channel. That's Wendell's World of Sports. If you like what you see, especially speaking about the um, beautiful single young ladies between the ages of uh, 42, 49, if you like 
what you see, go ahead and subscribe to my YouTube channel and uh, like, comment, do all those good things. We're very much appreciated. All right, Wendell's World of Sports with your host, Wendell Wallace, recording this on a Monday afternoon, enjoying the day off. Special dedication, special shout out to the school that I make my money, where I get my cheddar, Virgin Valley High School, 14-6 to victory over Pahrump. Hope no tires were slashed in the parking lot. Hope everybody came out okay. Hope there weren't any cheap shots. I hope there was too much trash talking going on. But I hope uh, season opener, home opener for Virgin Valley, 14-6 to victory over Pahrump out there in Mesquite, the place where I earned my living. Um, hope everybody had a good time out there Friday night was going to stay but come on man i live 85 miles away so to stay after school ends at one o'clock and then stay for five or six hours in heat that was like 115 degrees i can only drive my car around mesquite for so long before i would go crazy so yeah man couldn't couldn't be out there to uh cheer on the bulldogs but uh you know i'm glad that uh glad that y'all did well wendell's world of sports i'm your host wendell wallace so glad that you could be with us here in the Racist, ignorant, divided, selfish states of America, this country. Football, high school football is starting, has already started. So there you go. Got to give a shout out to, shout out to my squad. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to court to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. The college football season is truly upon us. I know that we had week zero. The week before, but we had to sit through Nebraska versus Northwestern. We had to sit through some games that were not quite as tasty, not quite as delicious as it was for really the main appetizer or the main course, which is the start of the college football season week one. The week before was just an appetizer. This is the main course. 13 weeks starting last week until Thanksgiving weekend, November 26th with rivalry games. We are going to be inundated with college football on Saturday, and it's going to feel so doggone good. So you got until November 26th when you'll have rivalry week, which will be Michigan and Oklahoma, excuse me, Michigan and Ohio State, Florida and Florida State, Alabama and Auburn, um, Oregon and Oregon State. We got Washington, the Apple Cup, Washington and Washington State. We got Stanford and Cal. We've got Notre Dame and USC. Starting then week 14, December 2nd, we have the conference championship games. Then week six, uh, 15, starting December 10th, we're going to have Army-Navy, which I have no interest in. I'll explain why in just a second. Then the bowl season starts Friday, December 16th. So starting now till around what we're speaking about, mid-December on those Saturdays, or maybe... Maybe the, until the end of November. So we've got September, October, and then November. Three months. Three months on Saturdays. Get your stuff done early. Get all the things that you need to do early. Make sure you go to your kids' games and make sure that you hang out with your husband and make sure that you do all your things, you know, in terms of keeping yourself away from college football and such. Make sure you get that done early. Make sure you get that stuff out of the way because, man, college football is college football. Enjoying the tradition of college football in terms of my tradition when I speak about the love I have for um, college football and such. For the next three months, for the next 12, 13 weeks, don't bother me on Saturday. During the day, do not bother me. I ain't going nowhere. I ain't doing nothing. Thank Lord. Thank Jesus. Thank anybody that you give thanks to that uh, Wendell Wallace is not married and doesn't have any kids. So I don't have to be 
bogged down with honey-do lists and I gotta take my kids to uh, this game and that game and these practices and this bullshit and all this other nonsense. Nah, man, I've got the entire day on Saturdays occupied. Selfish me. All about me. And it's all about college football. So, look, I'll break up the monotony for a UFC fight or a championship fight in the evening, but uh, for the most part, man, yeah, during the day, during the morning, it's going to be college football, college football, college football. We speak about, and I'll get to Notre Dame and Ohio State, and I'll get to some of the games in just a second, but I just want to give you guys just a foundation. I want to give you a foundation of my love for college football, the, the, the good and the bad, in terms of what I like and dislike most about college football. What I like about the sport, the game itself. I just love the game of football. And when you're speaking about the level of play, and you're speaking about college football, it's the highest level outside of the NFL. When you're speaking about, you know, the level of play and such. I mean, I'm not too much into peewee football. I'm not too much into high school football and such. But I, I, I enjoy when you're speaking about guys playing at such a high level, college football on a Saturday really does it for me. And when we speak about the game of football, and one of the reasons why I think this country is so in love with the game of football, both college and pro, depending upon where you grew up, depending upon where you went to college, depending upon what city you live in, depending upon how much you gamble, depending upon how much you play fantasy football, depending upon all of those type of things, there's nothing like the game of football. Not football, which is soccer, in this country, but I'm speaking about American football. There's nothing like it, which is so woven and, 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 and embedded in our society. It truly is America's pastime and uniquely American. When you think about it, now people speak about baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, and Chevrolet. Well, you know, baseball has been replaced by football. Hot dogs, we don't eat hot dogs anymore because pork is terrible for you. Apple pie, yeah, maybe, but you know, I kind of like a blueberry pie and I kind of like pecan pie. And Chevrolet has been replaced by Toyotas. So that moniker or that quote or that saying that came out, baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, and Chevrolet, that has been, uh, that is truly uh, outdated to what uh, the society that we're living in, the, the global society that we're living in today. So when I speak about the game of football, when I speak about the game of American football, it is truly Americans' pastime Maybe not back in the 1920s. Maybe not back in the 1930s and 40s and such. Where you had Babe Ruth and the New York Yankees. And if you watch Ken Burns baseball, which was absolutely fantastic. Recommended for everybody. Should be shown in U.S. history classrooms. When they speak about Babe Ruth. When they speak about the importance and the impact that baseball had on this society. And how baseball has impacted society for decades and generations. When you're speaking about Jackie Robinson and Kurt Flood and Larry Dolby and Mickey Mantle and Ted Williams and Joe DiMaggio and Hank Greenberg and Bob Feller and all of those iconic baseball players and some being American heroes. Baseball, without question, for the first half of the 20th century, no doubt about it. America's pastime, uniquely American, American made, all this type of stuff. But as we move on, and now we head to the 21st century, and now that we're a couple of decades plus into the 21st century, without question, and it's been this way for probably the last, I don't know, 50, 60 years, America's pastime, 
uniquely American treasure that we have as far as sports is concerned is football. Because if you take a look at all the other sports, if you take a look at all the other sports leagues that have been played around the world, baseball is no longer America's pastime. It's no longer uniquely ours, along with football, excuse me, along with basketball and along with uh, hockey. Basketball have become a global sport, which is one of the most popular sports in the world. Not not just the NBA. When you speak about players, and that even going back as far as Magic Johnson and Larry Bird in the original Dream Team, not, not even with the explosion, really, of basketball globally with the impact that Michael Jordan had on the game, on the NBA and such, but just continuing what Jordan started, continuing what... Magic started and Isaiah started in terms of building the game of basketball to a global, uh, to, to the fanfare that it is globally. I mean, now we have guys like LeBron James. Now we have guys like Kevin Durant. Now we have guys like Chris Paul. Now we have guys who are global international superstars who are just as popular in other parts of the world than they are here in this country. Now you have guys who are on the same page as Lionel Messi. And Ronaldo and all those type of guys who are global icons because they play the most popular sport in the world, which is football, F-U-T-B-O-L. Not American soccer, but football. So because of that, yeah, we're still the best pl- You know, when you speak about the game of basketball, the this country, America, still has the best players. If you take a look, it still can be called America's game because we've been so good at it for so long. But the rest of the world is catching up. And the fandom and the fanfare of the game of basketball across the globe and the impact that the Dream Team had and the game of basketball had to go to other parts of this world. And you take a look at the professional basketball players in the best league that can be played as far as basketball is concerned, which is the NBA. And you see the superstars such as Giannis and Luka and Joel Embiid. And you take a look at the players from Canada. And you take a look at the players from Spain. And the players from Argentina. And you take a look at Nikola Jokic. And you take a look at how popular basketball is in the country of China. It's no longer ours. You take a look at what's going on in the Euro League right now. In FIBA basketball right now. When you have so many great, awesome players playing over there for the European Championship. Going on right now. It's tremendous. Right now, the game in Europe... The games that are going on in Europe, European basketball, in terms of this tournament that's going on, I mean, we're not paying any attention to that. We have no interest in that. We have no care in that. Right now, man, when you have those countries playing to see who's going to be qualifying for the Olympics and such, that is a big deal over in those countries like Slovenia and Lithuania and Greece and such. So, yeah, basketball, while we still might be the best at playing it in terms of the individual's compared to the rest of the world because we have the best basketball players in the in the world it's no longer truly an american an american sport it's no longer uniquely american when you take a look at baseball as i mentioned before it hasn't been america's pastime since the late 1960s or 1970s and you take a look at you know such countries as latin american countries or the caribbean country of japan they're just as popular, even more, that, that sport is more popular in those countries than it is in ours. When you speak about how rich and impactful the game of baseball has been in shaping this country and shaping this world. 
baseball hot dogs, apple pie, and Chevrolet. But this baseball had been taken away from us, especially when you speak about the best players in the game currently right now. I'm quite bold and bullish to say that there's more players of substance and greatness in Latin American countries than they are in this country. And then you take a look at the dwindling uh, participation or the dwindling number of black ball players in Major League Baseball coming from our communities. Again, it speaks to how baseball, while once a symbol of really change and making impact in our society through many different avenues, that has decreased greatly and it become a game for as I mentioned, the entire world. And, of course, then you move on to hockey, which in most recent regions of this country, the NHL is the fourth most popular sport in the community behind baseball, basketball, and football. Canada is the king of popularity of hockey. When you speak about that being the national sport, I mean, for Canada, Canada hockey is their, is their football when, when, when you compare, you know, the impact of hockey and want to compare it to somebody else. But, you know, hockey... In Canada, huge, along with Finland, Latvia, the Czech Republic. I mean, we're speaking about, you know, team like the Montreal Canadiens. We, we, we want to sit here and we speak about the most popular sport in our country being football. And maybe because of that, then the most popular team or the most polarizing team in this country being the Dallas Cowboys. Well, you take a look at the fandom and you take a look at the attention getting and you take a look at the amount of news and the amount of, uh, you know, attention that the Dallas Cowboys get and then compare that to uh, an NHL team like the Montreal Canadiens or maybe the Calgary Flames or the Edmonton Oilers and you take a look at how important those teams are to not just that region of the country but the entire country in general. I mean, Dallas Cowboys ain't got nothing when it comes to the fandom, when it comes to the passion, when it comes to the attention-getting of the Montreal Canadiens. Not Montreal, but Montreal, right? Is that, isn't that right, Joel St. Pierre? So there you go. So when we speak about football and we speak about its uniqueness and you speak about why we love it so, I mean, we are a selfish country and we like to think that we're better than everybody else even though we're not. So when we speak about football and we say that football is the best sport in the world and all those type of things, even though there's other sports that leapfrog that in terms of popularity worldwide, is football. It is football, it is football, it is football, and I absolutely positively love it. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So speaking about, you know, and again, I'll be getting into, don't worry about it. I know I'm about 15, 16 minutes in, but I, I want to just kind of, as again, give you a foundation, give you my thoughts and feelings about my love for the game of football before I start talking about, you know, North Carolina giving up 61 points to Appalachian State and then Mac Brown making a fool out of himself, celebrating like he just won a national championship or just beat Alabama on the road or something like that. I'll get into all of those things in just a second. Again, I just want to go back to just giving you my thoughts and opinions about my love for the for the game of football. So, again, college football is the most popular collegiate sport in the world. In the world, baby! So my tradition of watching college football from morning, noon, to late at night, weekends, not being disturbed, and watching football unless there's a championship fight or a UFC pay-per-view fight, it's right there, man. It's right there. It's all about tradition. It's all about, and, you know, being from the East Coast, being from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, more Maryland bred, Maryland born and Maryland bred, and when I die, I'll be Maryland dead. You goddamn right on that one. But 
when you're speaking about, I didn't grow up in Alabama. I didn't grow up in Columbus, Ohio. I didn't grow up in um, Western Pennsylvania. I didn't go up and grow up in some of the hotbeds where college football is almost like a way of life. When you're speaking about why the passion for people's love of college football is right there when you're speaking about uh, SEC country, when you're speaking about those in Ann Arbor, Michigan, or for those, and as I mentioned before, Columbus, Ohio, or for those in the state of uh, North Carolina, uh, the uh, state of Oklahoma, or for those in Austin, Texas and such. For me, you know, University of Maryland, outside of Bobby Ross and the time that he had, I mean, that was about it in terms of my fandom for the local college football team. I grew up in an area where the professional team was the end-all, the be-all. And even after that, you had high school basketball, which was very much a popular sport in our region. You had, at that time, Lefty Drizel for the University of Maryland and the great John Thompson Jr. for Georgetown University, you know, being bigger figures in terms of what captured the attention of the local community in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, the DMV. So I grew up not being a huge fan of college football just based on my love for the local football team and that local football team having such a large impact on what says and goes and what do's and days for the region around me. But it was just tradition, man. It was just a situation where when you love the game of football and you want to see the game of football played at a high level and you want to see folks compete and do all those type of things, then, you know, college football for me was the thing. And it just kind of grew and grew as I matured, as I journeyed and ventured around the world and got inundated and learned about other regions of the country. I remember there was a time when I was going to school at Central Missouri State for one year when it was a situation where, I, you know, my man Mike Berglund, you know, I don't know what he's doing right now because I hadn't heard from him in about almost 40 years. But, uh, no, not 40 years, about, about 20, about 30 years. But for the most part, man, it would be a situation where, Hey, we would go over, I would go over to his dorm room once the, um, once the uh, game started at around 11 o'clock when cable was first upon us and we would sit there and in the morning we would go eat breakfast and make sure that we would have something hearty and healthy to eat so we can, you know, be there for the long run in terms of watching football games and we would watch those games and watch those games and talk about those games and watch those games and discuss those games and then we would take a break and go to a dinner and then we would come back and we would watch those games and watch those games and then at the end of the day I would run around and see what type of uh, trouble I could get into after all the games were over but you know that was my routine that was something as part of as part of my young adulthood that was uh, pretty strong that had a pretty consistent deal with me so college football in that respect is one of the reasons why again I'm bringing what I uh we're getting a tradition as far as me watching college football is concerned that's now being being brought into my adulthood and maybe it's a situation where you could take a look at this and you can deduce the reason of me loving the game like I do is to a fact that the guy never grew up if he's still doing the things on a Saturday at the age of 50-something that he's doing, that he was doing at the age of uh, 21 or 22. Yeah, like you can make that argument. But, but for me, it's something that I truly love. Doesn't mean that it stopped me from getting married. Doesn't mean it stopped me from getting kids. All other aspects and other things stopped me from doing that. But uh, it wasn't because of my love of watching college football. But since I can take advantage of that and not have the, and, and, and not have to grow up in that sense and in that space of my life 
I'm taking full advantage of it. And now it's to the point where I don't know if you call it an addiction, but for me, Saturdays is all about watching college football. And you better have a goddamn good reason for me on a Saturday afternoon or a Saturday morning or even a Saturday evening, depending upon the schedule, for me not to be watching college football. If you're going to try to tell me that, hey, let's go out and hang out and do nothing, and it doesn't involve me being in front of a television watching college football, what the fuck are you doing to me, man? What the hell are you doing? Why are you calling? Why are you? I'm angry. I'm angry just, just based on the scenario that would never happen. Number one, I don't have enough friends to do that. Number two, why would they even do that to begin with? My homeboys and homegirls know what time it is when we're speaking about... Um, when we're speaking about Saturdays and Sundays, come on now. So, you know, that's all part of the whole deal as far as my fandom for college football. And one of the reasons why I love college football so much is because of the game itself, because of the level of competition itself and the level of play itself. Not as high as the NFL, but because it is uniquely American, you can't find uh, you can't find anywhere else where you can be watching a higher level of college football or a level of football on those Saturdays. So Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. That's one of the reasons, one of the main reasons, tradition, love of the sport, is why I like the game so much. But uh, one of the things that I dislike about the game itself, and one of the reasons why I love the NFL so much more than college football, even though I've just went on and on talking about how much I love the game of college football, which I do, which I do, don't get me wrong there. But just, just the, the coverage of the game itself, that, that is what really annoys me. And that's what I really hate about the game. I, I, don't, I don't care. I, I want to see the game. I want to see some really good competition. I want to see high level of play. And I want to see two football teams playing at a high level and giving me quite the enjoyment. That's what I want. I don't care about rivals. I don't care about traditions. I don't care about the college atmosphere. I don't care about the importance of the bowl games or the tradition of the bowl games or the history of the bowl games or the marching band or the feel-good stories. I don't care about any of that stuff. Show me the game. Concentrate on the game. Talk about the game, the game, the, the nuances of the game, the nooks and crannies of the game, the every play of the game. I don't care about anything else. I don't care about where this kid came from. I don't care that his mother was on drugs and his father was in jail and his brother was in, in gangs and he came from a horrible, terrible environment and now he's doing great. Every time they do a profile, every time in college football, and I shouldn't say every time because that's wrong, but a lot of times in college football where they're profiling these feel-good stories concerning black ball players, that's all they talk about. Well, he came from a bad neighborhood where his mother was in prison and his father was on crack and his father was never around and his brother was killed and all his friends were killed in gang violence and he came from a bad atmosphere. And it's just like, man, all right, we get it. We get it. Can we, can we talk about someone else? Can we talk about something else? Can we maybe, if you're going to go ahead and do these bullshit stories, tell something that's really an anomaly. Tell something that's really unique. As in, this is a guy, a black person who came from a really good home two-parent household, his father was a, was a lawyer, and his mom was the uh, was a doctor, and he came from a prestigious school, and his, his sister is in medical school, and his brother is, you know, is a community, you know, is turning around the communities all over the world, and all this kind of stuff. That, that would be sweet. That would be nice. 
But damn, every single time he came from a bad neighborhood, he came from a drug infested neighborhood, his mom was on crack. It's like, geez, man. I mean, rinse, wash, and repeat with that nonsense. And look, even if it was all about, you know, he lived the life of the Huxtables, I don't care. I don't care enough about these kids to be sitting there going, wow, that makes me want to watch this game. These traditions, I don't care about. Show me the game. And don't go blathering on and on about that's what makes college football so great. It's because of the atmosphere. It's because, you know, they the jump around and all this kind of nonsense. I don't care. I'm 53 years old. I don't give a fuck. I've been in college. Been there, done that. I don't care. I, I don't care about seeing a bunch of kids acting like, you know, 18 to 22-year-olds. Been there, done that. Had no interest in seeing that. That doesn't pump me up. That doesn't make me want to watch a game. Are the teams that are going to be playing any good? Am I going to be guaranteed a good game? That's what I'm all about. All this other stuff, Army, Navy, the rivalry and all this kind of nonsense, are the two teams any good? Because if the two teams aren't good, I'm not interested. Auburn, Alabama, Army, Navy, Michigan, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Texas, Georgia, Florida, California, Stanford, Harvard, Yale, USC, Notre Dame, Florida, Florida State, Texas, Texas, A&M. Unless those teams are fighting for something for real, and unless those teams are good, and it's going to be a competitive, uh, uh, competitive game, I'm not interested. All this nonsense about Alabama versus Auburn and the rivalries and these two teams hate each other. We're speaking about people from Alabama. What else do those clowns have to do down there? Not interested. I don't care. I don't care about grown men and grown people and grown women putting so much emphasis on their life on a bunch of on a bunch of 21-year-olds. Or 18, 19 year olds. Not interested. They don't care about traditions. Prior to games at Clemson Memorial Stadium, Clemson players touch Howard's Rock prior to running down the hill in the east end zone. Don't care. Ohio State's marching band dunning the eye in Ohio State. Don't care. Ralphie's run at Colorado. Don't care. Texas A&M's 12th man. Don't care. Is Texas A&M any good? Is Colorado going to be any good? Is Clemson going to be any good? And who they're playing? Are they any good? Am I going to be? Am I going to see some excellence in football? Am I going to see an entertaining game? Because if not, why do I give a shit about Howard's Rock? Why do I give a fuck about Ohio State dotting some eye on Ohio State? Why do I care about Ralphie's Run, who I guess in a couple of months is going to be on my dinner table as part of my steak dinner? Why do I care? Texas A&M 12th man. Why do I care? What? <laughs> you know, at Auburn, rolling tumors corner during away football games when employees of the local drugstore received news of a win, they would throw a the ticker tape for the telegraph on to the power line. So I guess way back in the day when they did that, the tradition, tradition stuck, and now it's just, just an everyday thing. They had some ass clown from Alabama poison one of the trees. And these people in Auburn thought that, you know, they just, the guy just committed some type of murder of a great community leader and activist. Like, what? He poisoned a tree. And, and, and people were getting all emotional and crying about this. There's nothing better to do in Auburn, Alabama than to react and have that type of emotion toward a tree. Well, it dates back centuries and decades, and it's a tree. Now, what that guy did was wrong. 
And that guy should have been punished, you know, by the law. I mean, he should, there should have been consequences for his action, which should have been severe. Just based on pure stupidity alone to vandalize a tree in terms of, well, you know, because of a football game, a college football game, I'm going to go ahead and vandalize a tree to, I don't know what was in that clown's mind, but come on, y'all. Do something else. You know, read a book. You know, I mean, gee whiz. Try to do something else. So, you know, for me, it's it's always a situation where it's like, come on, man. I mean, really? <laughs> we I have to sit here and listen to the have, listen to people Babylon about how wonderful and how awesome it is. Now, the you know, the Iowa, what they do with the children's hospital. Okay, that's nice. That's wonderful. That's fantastic. Awesome. I just don't care about it enough for it to be part of the uh, football game. I'm, I'm here to watch. If if, if I, I mean, really, watching Iowa football game, unless you want to have the experience of what it must feel like to have needles being shoved in your eye. I don't know why you would watch Iowa football play 7-3 to over one of the Dakotas where they didn't score a touchdown. Ooh, Kurt Ferentz, how does he still have a job there? But um, it's just a situation where it's like, come on, man, save all the tradition and all that kind of stuff. You can have the tradition. You can have all that stuff. That's wonderful, and that's awesome. And, and, and at a point in time, you can even point that out. But when you go on and on and on, and then, you know, you have these announcers who I guess have to sit there and be like, Oh, oh, this is what makes college football so great. Oh, it's the jump around. Oh, it's uh, these college kids having fun. Oh, it's tra- the traditions. Oh, it's like, come on, man, enough. I'll give you a perfect example. Listen to Gus Johnson do a college football game for Fox and then have him do a pro football game. And you, you see a stark difference in terms of how he calls a college football game and how he calls an NFL game. Completely different. On the college football game, he's broadcasting to mainly 18 to 34-year-olds. So he has to do that. That's why he always goes nuts and, Mama Bear! Oh my goodness! I can't... That's why he does all that bullshit nonsense and is like, Gus, shut up, man. Please, just... Oh, we got a three-yard gain! Holy Jesus! Like, all right, Gus, man, please, just come. I mean, you know, come on, man. Just knock it off, will you? Knock it off. He doesn't do that bullshit when the NFL games are starting or when the NFL games are on. Now, he'll get excited. I mean, he'll be Gus Johnson, but, but you know, the, the, the over-accentuating uh, nonsense is toned down tenfold. Why? Because he's broadcasting to adults who don't want to hear that shit. Who don't want to hear that nonsense. So it's, those are just some of the things in terms of, you know, and then you got the sideline reporters. So I'll get into all of that later on. But that's one of the things. And it doesn't deter me from watching a football game. I mean, you got a really great football game. I want to see USC play this year because of Lincoln Riley. Riley. I want to see Notre Dame play this year. Let's see what happens with um, uh, Marcus uh, Freeman in his first year as coach. Of that program, I want to see Alabama play. I'll watch them play, even if they're playing a team as lousy or as uncompetitive as Utah State, because I'm interested in seeing Alabama's excellence. I'm, I'm interested in seeing Georgia. I'm interested in seeing Ohio State. I'm interested in seeing some of the storylines of the college football season. Who's going to be a surprise? Which player is going to uh, emerge out of the ethos and be a true candidate for the Heisman Trophy? The Heisman Trophy. Favorites, I want to see how they do the, you know, I want to see how a Utah team is going to bounce back. I want to see 
you know, how a LSU team under Brian Kelly is going to bounce back after getting that extra point block uh, to uh, lose a football game to Florida State. I, I want to even see uh, Jackson State and see after that pummeling that they gave Florida A&M, um, I want to see, you know, a school from the HBCU really make a mark in the uh, lower divisions of football and have an impact and see what Deion Sanders are doing. All of those things is what makes me gravitate toward the game of football. Uh, the traditions and rivalries, it really doesn't. Army-Navy, uh, Why? give me a reason why I should watch Army-Navy if I'm on the purity of watching really good football. Give me a reason. What? What is there a reason for me to watch Army-Navy? Well, the oldest rival, who gives a fuck? Uh, give me another reason. Is the game going to be any good? Love what the service men are doing. Great, wonderful, awesome. Just because I respect and highly admire what they're doing doesn't mean that I have to be forced to watching them play football because you're speaking about two mid-major football teams going nowhere. What significance does that have on me in terms of watching the game of football for the enjoyment factor and for some type of, you know, I mean, teams play for championships and such. So I, I, I don't get that. So there you go. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you can be with us. Okay, now let's go ahead and talk about some things from the first Saturday of the season. As of right now, as of week one, as of right now, as of right now, as of right now, Georgia and Alabama are the two best teams in the country. Number one rated Alabama opened up the season, spanking Utah State 55 to nothing at home. They scored 41 points. In the first half, quickly would score again at the start of the second half. And then, you know, Nick Saban said, no more. He's, him and Dion are still chasing around that goat and that um, that Affleck duck uh, because the, the goat stole his chain. So, you know, that's more intriguing than Alabama and Utah State after the second half. Alabama went 8-for-8 eight eight scoring in the red zone with each of the first three touchdown passes coming from inside the 10-yard line. Bryce Young the reigning, the defending Heisman Trophy winner went 18 of 28, 195 yards, five touchdowns, also ran for 100 yards on five carries. Alabama's new receivers and new running backs, how did they do? Bama, three wide receivers, caught five passes each. Uh, Treshawn Holden, five passes for 70 yards, two touchdowns. Two touchdowns. Kobe Prentice caught five passes for 60 yards. Jermaine Burton caught five passes also for two touchdowns kind of hard to you know figure out what's going to be happening in terms of uh, you know Alabama you know after this game I think we'll see a lot more in terms of um, how they are as a football team when they play at Texas next week of Texas not being a juggernaut but uh, beat uh, Louisiana Monroe 52 to 10 Quinn Ewers the next great thing supposedly when he was a junior or sophomore in high school that was supposed to be changing the fortunes of college football programs wherever he went was uh beyond was uh you know i guess you could say didn't live up to the hype at all 16 of 24 224 but made a couple of uh bad decisions but we'll see a little bit more in terms of what alabama is all about of course you know when you speak about alabama you're speaking about the new guys that are coming in you're speaking about reloading and not rebuilding or rebuilding to reload uh, we give the benefit of the doubt when we go into a situation like this in terms of taking away something in terms of the 55 to nothing drubbing of Utah State, basically a get-right game before we get to a 
better play game, a preseason game, if you will. But because of the success of Alabama, we lend more toward Alabama being great, Alabama being awesome. That 55 to nothing score speaks more on the positive of how great Alabama is compared to, well, they were playing a team that they should have beaten 55 to nothing. The defense was awesome. We're a running game for Alabama. Let me get to that real quick. 32 times for 278 yards, even though if you take away Bryce Young's 100 yards, 60 of them on one play on five carries, and Jameer Gibbs running for, I believe, what, 93 yards? You're talking about 193 yards on 14 carries combined between Young and Gibbs. The rest of the team ran the rock 18 times for 85 yards, so maybe that's something in terms of the offensive line and the running game that Alabama can improve on. And then again, going back to the Alabama defense, pitched a shutout, allowed a total of 136 yards, was uh, Utah State converted only seven first downs, went five of 21 on third and fourth down situations. The secondary for Alabama, which might have been a weakness, played well. Again, what we're speaking about, Utah State, Again, we'll see. Almost a coming out party, shall we say. Not just in terms when they play, speaking of Alabama, when they play when they play Texas um, next week. But it's also going to be a coming out game for Quinn Ewers. Again, I am fascinated to see what this cat can do. Is he going to be the next Ron Paulus? A guy who was just like, he was supposed to go to, name, go to Notre Dame win a couple of Heisman trophies and bring the Irish back to national prominence. And he didn't come close to living up to those expectations. Chris Sims, Phil Sims' kid was another one when he was in high school out in New Jersey. He was supposed to be a guy that would, wherever he went to college, he was going to, uh, you know, magically turn the program around and become one of the great players and all this kind of nonsense and it never matriculated to those heights. What about Quinn Ewers now? Quinn Ewers is supposed to be a guy, as I mentioned before, um, as far back as his sophomore season in high school down there in Austin, Texas. Um, he was supposed to be the guy that was the belt of the ball in terms of a team or a football program that could get him. And he went to Ohio State, didn't do anything there. C.J. Stroud, clearly the number one quarterback. So he transfers back to Texas. I think, as I mentioned before in another podcast, speaking about yours, one of the final nails in the coffin for Tom Herman in terms of him losing his job as coach of Texas with the fact that he couldn't get the local kid Ewers to go to Texas and play for that that program. Well, Steve Sarkeesian comes in. Ewers isn't getting any time at Ohio State. He transfers back home. Homecoming, wonderful time, this, that, and the other. And as I mentioned before, his first game against uh, Louisiana Monroe, Underwhelming to say the least. So it'll be interesting to maybe get a barometer early in his career about what Quinn Ewers can do and what uh, where Alabama is give us a better idea of how great they are, how solidified they are at the number one team in the country playing against much better competition in Texas, especially after the performance of Georgia and how they played against Oregon. How tenuous is Alabama's number one ranking as we move forward in the season. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Speaking of Georgia, I guess you could say they had the best performance of the day. 
against Oregon. Neutral field, completely dominating the game, winning 49-3. Stetson Bennett with the MVP of the weekend, throwing for 368 yards, completing 25 of 31 passes, two touchdowns, ran for another. He did all of this in less than three full quarters of football. In fact, he had just one more incompletion three than he did touchdown two in the first half. You know what's going to be interesting here? And I spoke about this many times. I said when people were downgrading and poo-pooing and who-caring all this stuff about Stetson Bennett and he's not Bryce Young and he's not C.J. Stroud and he's not going to throw for 400 yards a game and he's not going to put the ball in the air 50 times and he's not going to be the barometer on offense and see how well they do and because of that, he's more of a game manager. So because of that, some of his um, some of the impact that he had or some of the responsibility that he had or when we speak about, you know, in line or in order who was responsible for Georgia's success, success last uh, season, Stetson Bennett is way down the line because he was just a guy who got in the car and sat in the backseat while the defense and others drove that Maserati to a national championship. Remember, remember all of this talk, JT Daniels has more natural ability as a quarterback and more you know, as a passing athletic gifts and all this type of nonsense and blah, blah, blah. Well, hey, man, it's going to be interesting to see going on this year. Man is Stetson Bennett, who has been with the Georgia Bulldogs program now for a few years and seemed to have a really good grasp of the offense. And the fact that the running game for Georgia really isn't, you know, dominating. And it seems clearly that the best offensive weapon that Georgia has is its quarterback. I wonder if Kirby Smart is going to be willing and able to turn the offense over more toward uh, Stetson Bennett and have him sling the ball around the field anymore. Uh, uh, Sling the ball around the field uh, a little bit more. Now, we're, we're not going to all of a sudden, you know, speak of Kirby Smart offensive philosophy in the same way uh, as Mike Leach. But it's going to be interesting now to see if, I don't know if the word open up is the right term, but I'll use it anyway. I wonder if Kirby Smart is going to be more willing to open up the offense for Stetson Bennett to let him do a thing, let him put up put up numbers. Not, not, not for the point of him trying to win the Heisman Trophy or trying to prove doubters wrong and none of that nonsense. I'm just thinking that, you know, maybe it's a situation where, hey, look, you know what? We're still going to have a dominant defense. Defense now, Oregon, embarrassing, but yet and still, wow. Defense, they lose all of those defensive stars to the NFL. They lose all of that defensive impact to the NFL. First-round draft picks, blah, blah, blah. And they come back and they put the, put down that type of performance against a top-15 team in Oregon. So it's a situation where, you know, let's test it better. Let's, let's see them do a thing. It'll be interesting also to see... How long, if, if Georgia's going to play like this, how much longer can you deny Georgia truly being the number one ranked team in the country if, I'm going to go on the assumption and guess that by the time the next college football rankings are released, that Georgia's going to move from number three to number two. How long are we talking about here before Georgia becomes the number one ranked team in the country, regardless of what Alabama does, unless they just Alabama just really does something, you know, wonderful and Georgia maybe slips back a little bit. The Bulldogs, not Virgin Valley, but the Bulldogs had fifteen players taken in the first 
round of the or uh, 15 players taken in the NFL draft, five in the first round, and they come back and they're this dominant. That's rebuilding to reload homes. You know what I'm talking about? So Georgia, Georgia looks great. Georgia, if they continue this, hey man, unless unless Alabama puts quite a butt whooping on um, Texas, the momentum. If Georgia's going to play like this, the momentum for them to eventually regain or come back number one or take the number one spot from Alabama, regardless of what Alabama does, I think that's inevitable. And I think that would happen rather quickly. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you can be with us. All right, game of the week. Number two, Ohio State over number five, Notre Dame, 21 to 10. Ohio State, I guess you could say, showed a side of them that they haven't shown in years, right? They won a gritty, grimy, bogged down, non-flowing, not beautiful, physical, <laughs> workmanlike type of game, right? Whoever thought you would see Oklahoma, excuse me, don't go there. Whoever thought that you would see Alabama, uh, wow, how about that? Strike two. Whoever thought that you would see Ohio State <laughs> win a game like that? I guess you could say that's the first time in years, right? That the defense was the key to the victory. Shut down the number five Ohio State uh, offense for the final 42 minutes of the game. Notre Dame managed just 253 yards. Punted on their last six possessions. Had only 12 first downs. Went 3 of 13 on third down. Yes, this is Ohio State. This is the same team that last time we checked, Michigan was running roughshod all, all over them. This was the same team that Utah was scoring points in abundance out there at the Rose Bowl. Well, I don't know how much a new defensive coordinator is making for Ohio State, but it ain't enough. Running game for Ohio State, really the MVP as far as offense is concerned. C.J. Stroud looked average, averaged only six yards per attempt on his 30-something passes. But Trayvon Henderson had 91 yards on 15 carries. Myron Williams had 84 yards on 14 carries and a touchdown. It was a good game for Ohio State, and Ryan Day was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, he was up there doing the Mac Brown as far as the celebration was concerned. I mean, he was, I'll go ahead and say it, dancing in the street like Martha and the Vandellas and dancing on the ceiling like Lionel Richie in terms of the way that they won. Because we speak of Ohio State in recent memory as a team that, yeah, as long as you can let them flow and as long as you can let them score and as long as you can let them get into rhythm, that, you know, they're fine. But the minute... Someone punches them in the mouth. The minute someone gets physical with them, the minute that uh, they're faced in a game where it's not free-flowing and beautiful as far as offense is concerned, they don't have the toughness. They don't have the grit. They don't have the desire. They don't have the want to. They don't have the defense to win a game like this. And on Saturday night, they did. Against a top five team, no matter what you think of the preseason rankings in Notre Dame, which I thought them being number five was ridiculous, they were still ranked number five. And it was still a big game. And they won a game where years ago they would have lost, or the game would have been much closer. Now, you could say if Notre Dame had some type of offensive resemblance, then they would have won this game, well, you know, Tomato, tomato, Jack. I guess one of the main takeaways from the game, if you want to say it, is how should we measure 
Ohio State defense against this Notre Dame offense. Because Notre Dame, their defense is championship worthy. Their defense is legit in terms of them being a top five team. Unfortunately, their offense is nowhere near that. Their offense doesn't have the makeup or the skill players or the quarterback for them to be a top 10, top 15 team. Tyler Buckner, not a quarterback that can lead the team to wins against the best teams in the country. The receivers lack talent and physical abilities for them to be a top 10 team. You had Michael Myers who fought, who caught five passes. Other than that, no other receiver caught more than one. Buckner didn't throw the ball with any success down the field. Offensive coordinator gave him very little in terms of responsibility to do, to, uh, to do anything. And then you take a look at the offensive line from Notre Dame and the running backs were on 30 carries. They had only 76 yards. That's not anything to win a to win a championship. And it's a situation where should we be saying, damn, that's all you could do against an Ohio State defense that was so lousy at spots and at points last season? Or should we say, wow, is Ohio State's defense that good that they can again make this Ohio, uh, excuse me, this Notre Dame offense looks so pedestrian at best and inconsistent at times? We'll see. We'll see. But as I mentioned before, good uh, good victory for Ohio State. We'll see what happens moving forward with, with them. I'm not too worried about them on offense because I think Notre Dame's defense was legit. I'm just interested to see now if the, if the defense for Ohio State can continue to do what they're doing. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Real quick, in a couple of minutes, I just want to make a few observations. The ACC is making a statement that it's purely a basketball conference. When you take a look at North Carolina and North Carolina State in winning their opening games this year, seems like a loss. North Carolina beat Appalachian State 63-61. No, that's not a basketball score. No, Hubert Davis was not on the sideline. 63-61. Appalachian State outscored UNC 40-22 in the fourth quarter. The two teams combined... The score, 62 points, nine touchdowns, all in the fourth quarter. Saturday's game between North Carolina and Appalachian State had more points than the UNC-Appalachian State basketball game last uh, year, in which North Carolina won 70-50. Despite the loss, the Mountaineers, which are Appalachian State, 664 total yards. North Carolina had 567. North Carolina's quarterback, Greg Mace, threw for 352 yards to four touchdowns. Appalachian State's quarterback, Chase Bryce, 376 passing yards and six touchdowns. And Mac Brown is out there dancing around like he won the, the national championship. Are you serious? What, 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 Mac? I, I know, I know, I know. A win's a win. A win's a win. I know. We played a great quarterback and all that. Blah, 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 blah. If you're putting, if you're allowing, I don't know. Maybe we should ask Mac Brown. Mac, what are your aspirations this year? If you want to win eight or nine games, then yeah, I guess maybe you should be dancing. If you want to be competitive in some games and you know finish in the middle of the pack in the ACC, then maybe you should be dancing. You know, if that if, if your if your goal is to make some second tier, who cares bowl game? Well, then maybe you should be dancing. A win's a win, right? I get it. Understood. I know games in college football, winning in college football is a hard thing to do when these kids sacrificed and did all this stuff and went through the summer and worked. And, okay, all right, fine, fine. But 
obviously, by your reaction, if I'm a fan of North Carolina, what you're telling me is that Mac Brown has no interest, no desire, and no expectations for North Carolina to win a championship. Compete for a championship in any way, shape, or form. Not just national championship, just conference championship. He, Mac Brown has no desire whatsoever. Because if you're dancing around and doing the boogaloo and the funky chicken too and the James Brown and the kid and play and doing the running man and all this kind of nonsense after the game, after your team allowed 40 points to Appalachian State in the fourth quarter and 61 points and really Appalachian State miscues were the reason why that they lost. If that prompts you to be that enthusiastic, Again, you're telling me that you're not interested. You can't sit there and tell tell me that your aspirations are to win any type of championships based on that performance and based on your reaction after that victory. You can't. You can't. You can't do that. So if I'm a North Carolina fan, I'm already turning the basketball. <laughs> because it's like if the defense is going to give up 61 points to uh, Appalachian State, I hate to see what's going to be happening when they get to play teams, you know, in Power Five conference in in, in their uh, in their conference. So there you go. And North Carolina State, I mean, they were ranked 13th in the country, and that was the best performance you gave against East Carolina, a team that should have won not once but twice, a team in North Carolina State that was inside the red zone multiple times and came away with nothing. I mean, we don't even know about Florida State. Florida State. Hey, congratulations on, on that neutral uh, road win against LSU. But what what is LSU all about? Did you see that offense? And with Brian Kelly and LSU, I mean, who who's going to give Alabama any type of uh, game this season in the SEC West? I mean, we know Alabama's head and shoulders above anybody, everybody else, but who's going to be in second place? It ain't going to be Auburn. Is it going to be Texas A&M? Based on what we saw, is it going to be LSU? And that's the case, how bad and how overrated is the SEC if that's going to be your SEC West? If you're going to have a team like LSU finish second after what we saw after what we saw against uh, Florida State last night on a, on a uh, Sunday night. So we'll see. We'll see. So, yeah, man, college football is off and running. Can't forget the disappointing weekend for the Pac-12. Oregon being embarrassed by Georgia. Utah losing to Florida, so I'm going to throw that in real quick. Maybe on my um, YouTube episode, I'll talk a little bit about the expansion of the college football playoffs from, what, 12 games or something like that starting in 2026. There's a lot of things could happen in 2026. You know when I'll start talking about this? When 2026 rolls around and, uh, you know, there'll be some, uh, you know, concrete situations to where we could start speaking about this. I don't know, man. I might be dead by 2026. You might be dead by 2026. The world might be gone by 2026. China might be running this country in 2026. I might be living in Australia or Vancouver or Toronto or Calgary or, I don't know, or somewhere else, depending upon what happens in 2024 and depending upon what happens in this country, the direction that we're heading into. So I don't know, man. I mean, you know, I'll cross that bridge as far as 2026 when I get there, 2024 when I get there, if I get there, God willing. God willing. So all of that stuff maybe I'll hit on in when I do my YouTube episode. But college football is back. My Saturdays of excitement and entertainment are back. I'm happy. 
I'm happy. I'm just like Pharrell. I'm really, really happy. Last segment of the podcast, last segment of the program, welcome back to Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us, again, thank you so much for listening to this podcast, as I also would ask you to do, if you could, again, anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcast, iTunes, iHeart, Amazon, Spotify, please give me those five stars. I would very much appreciate it. It doesn't take too much time. It really doesn't. And believe me, from the bottom of my heart, from the tippy toes of my toes up to the up to my bald receding hairline head, I very much appreciate you in terms of you doing that, taking the time to do that. And again, as I always mentioned before, um, you want to leave a comment, man. If you want to criticize or whatever, you can call me whatever you want to. Just leave out the racial slurs. That's <laughs> if you want to. I don't know, call me a horrible, terrible, a bad human being, a piece of shit, all that, fine, no problem, I'm a big boy, I'm a big boy now, I can take it, don't worry about it, but just leave out the racial slurs, if you would please, call me anything you want to, but the nigger and all that kind of stuff, just, 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 just keep it to yourself, if you would, I would very much appreciate it, Wendell's World in Sports, Wendell Wallace here, so glad that you could be with us. Before I get into some quick stuff about the NFL, because I want to get out of here pretty soon, just some uh, quick notes that I want to get to. Special dedication to Serena, Serena Williams. She lost in the third round of the U.S. Open, um, I guess essentially ending her career. She said, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, but man, I sure hope she stays away. Um, You know, but do what she wants to do, I don't care. But, um, you know, just a fantastic career. Margaret Court out there slamming her, talking about, yeah, man, you know, I've always given Serena love and respect. Too bad she's never called me up, never given me that same type of respect. 80-year-old, get off my lawn type of comment with some validity to it. But it's like, you know, if Margaret Court's not around, she's living in the United Kingdom. If Margaret, Billie Jean King, they're visible. So Billie Jean King and all them uh, uh, pioneers in icons have gotten to know each other. I, I don't know... If Margaret Court has made the attempt to try to get to know Serena Williams, now it's not her place, and maybe being the elder, maybe it should be Serena who should be the one who should try to get to know Margaret Court. I don't know how open Margaret Court would be. I don't know how much she would take to, you know, being as, you know, the attention in terms of the the, the spotlight or the attention or everything coming on her like a Billie Jean King does, but... Uh, you know, I mean, she's she's a little salty there. She's a little salty. Like, I'm sorry, who won more majors? Jeez. So, I, I get it. I understand it. You know, but, uh, you know, Serena can't be wonderful, happy, girl lucky with everybody. I'm quite sure she was like, I'm sorry, just, you know. I mean, you know, what can I say? It is what it is. But uh, I've never said Serena is the GOAT. I think that she's amongst the conversation. 
I think she's high up on the GOAT conversation. But, you know, I'm not going to disrespect Althea Gibson and Billie Jean King and Martina Navratilova and Steffi Graf and Monica Sellis and you know, Margaret Court. And I'm not going to disrespect them by saying without question that Serena is the greatest of all time. Just like if I'm lucky enough to live another 30, 40 years, which I doubt because I'll be in my 90s and Lord knows I don't, don't want to be living then. But, uh, you know, if, you know, in 20, 30 years, if we have a female come in and, you know, is, and, and generations have passed and people kind of forget how great Serena was and now that woman is there, there, uh, Serena Williams or their Billie Jean King, that generation's Billie Jean King or Serena Williams and they start talking about, you know, this woman as being the greatest of all time because she's won 30 majors or 35 majors. I mean, we're going to be the same group of people who are going to be sitting there on the porch and or on in the assisted living homes with a few marbles rolling in our heads speaking about, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Before you talk about Jane Doe being so great in the year, you know, in, in, in the year 20, 2047 because she's won all these majors. Oh, hold on for a second there, Young Bucks. Let me tell you a little bit about Serena Williams and how great she was. So we'll, we'll be doing the same thing that Margaret Court is doing if that person doesn't give Serena her uh, her props at that time if something like that happens. So, yeah, man, props to uh, Serena Williams. And, again, Margaret Court, I understand where you're coming from. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you can be with us. Um, I'm going to get more into this on my YouTube episode, which I'll be putting out tomorrow. The fact that uh, the last shoe to drop outside of what Russell Westbrook has been dropped Donovan Mitchell going to the Cleveland Cavaliers makes Cleveland a viable competitor for the upper echelon for the uh, NBA in the Eastern Conference. Maybe not next year. I'm not going to uh, put the Cleveland Cavaliers, even with the foursome of Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell and Jared Allen and uh, Evan Mobley, I'm not, I'm not ready to put them up there with the Bostons. I'm not ready to put them up there with the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm not ready to uh, put them in, in, in that category. But uh, they made a huge move. J.B. Bickerstaff, now you have a little bit of pressure on you because uh, you have a squad now that should be, in two or three years, should be ready to uh, really contend with the Celtics and such for um, championships in the Eastern Conference. Um, you know, that backcourt is going to be deficient in terms of in terms of defense is concerned. Garland and Mitchell, not known for their defensive prowess, but you do have Allen, you do have uh, Mobley, who can erase those mistakes. Um, we'll see what happens. I think it was a good land for Mitchell. If you're the Utah Jazz, understand you're in the trying to improve your chances of getting Victor Wimbignana, who I think is going to be, if he fills out to his potential and his needs and his feet hold up, can be um, the next generation's Ralph Sampson. Like if Ralph Sampson's knees and feet would have held up. This is the type of impact Ralph Sampson would have had, and I think he would have gone down as one of the all-time greats. I think Ralph Sampson, Ralph Sampson, if he would have stayed healthy, would have had, would have been in the same conversation with the all-time greats. That means LeBron. That means MJ. That means Oscar. That means Kareem. That means Wilt. That means Russ. That means I'm thinking about Bill Russell. All of those guys. Hakeem. I think um, Tim Duncan. Kobe. I think Ralph Sampson would have been at least a top six, top seven player all time if he would have uh, stayed healthy. Now, you know, if the, the if game, whatever. But Victor Wimbignana, not saying that he's going to be Ralph Sampson or have that type of career, but I think that, uh, you know, he's on the path 
to uh, be this generation's Ralph Sampson, if you get what I mean when you speak about his skill set and his height. And if, for those who don't know, because you're too young, YouTube some Ralph Sampson when, when he was at Virginia and his first couple of years with the uh, Houston Rockets. The guy was uh, the guy was unreal. Who I think we didn't take we we didn't pay enough respect to in terms of what he did. He went so fast in terms of uh, you know the injuries. He was just you know he fought Jerry C. Sting games five of the uh, NBA Finals in '86, and then nevertheless we saw him as far as being an impactful player. But uh, Ralph Sampson was no joke as an NBA basketball player. The short time that he was there, Victor Wimbanyana had that opportunity to be, to be that type of guy. The Utah Jazz. The San Antonio Spurs are realizing that, which is the reason why they're giving away all their assets, which is the reason why the San Antonio Spurs traded away. Oh, shit. Oh, a name I completely forgot, but I know who I'm talking about. It'll come to me in about 15 minutes, but uh, traded away. Um, God damn it. Whatever. Traded away their best player, their young all-star, and the reason why um, the Utah Jazz are... Rebuilding, why they traded away Rudy Gobert and they traded away Donovan Mitchell. And if you take a look at Danny Ainge, who's now running the operation for Ryan Smith with the Utah Jazz, one thing that we can say about him, his drafting is his strongest suit in terms of being a general manager or president of basketball operations. Maybe not his trade, if you take a look at what uh, he did with the opportunities that he had after... Uh, you know, sending away Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. But, uh, you know, as far as drafting is concerned, yeah, you're damn right. I would trust Jan- Danny Ainge with a boatload of draft picks, much more than Sam Presti, which he's apply- compiling with the Oklahoma City Thunder. They're looking to rebuild again now that Chet Holmgren is going to be out for the entire season. They're speaking, there's talking, there's discussion in Oklahoma City. My man Eric G locked into that in terms of now with Holmgren being out, should the Oklahoma City Thunder tank again to maybe get themselves a new age version of the Twin Towers if they're lucky enough to have the number one draft pick and Victor Wimbanyana is sitting right there for them. So, you know, those are the type of discussions. I would greatly put my trust in Danny Ainge in terms of uh, having a multitude of draft picks and using that to build my team into a championship contender. So Donovan Mitchell on the move to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, And that's probably until Russell, something happens with Russell Westbrook or Kyrie Irving. That's about it for the uh, NBA until a little bit later on. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Okay, quickly, let me go ahead. The NFL season starts this Thursday. Buffalo at the Los Angeles Rams. You're speaking about the defending champions and the Rams going up against the team favorite to win the championship this season in the Buffalo Bills. Some interesting games on September 11th. It's going to be Pittsburgh and Cincinnati, Green Bay at Minnesota, the Las Vegas Raiders at the Los Angeles Chargers, Sunday night game, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys. So this upcoming weekend is going to be fun, fun, fun. Till my daddy takes my TV away. The NFL news, Denver Broncos signed quarterback Russell Wilson to a contract extension. According to ESPN's Adam Schefter, Denver and Wilson agreed to an extension worth over $245 million in new money. The extension is for five years and includes $165 million uh, guaranteed. In total, the Broncos will be paying Wilson 
$296 million over the next seven years. And Wilson's going to be 34 years old near the end of November. Wow. Wow. Wilson is now behind only Aaron Rodgers of the Green Bay Packers in annual contract value. Rodgers is first with a little less than $50.3 million per year. Wilson is second at $49 million per year. Kyler Murray of Arizona sits at third with $46.1 million. Wow. Denver had to do what they had to do. Don't blame them. Yeah, I mean, we're speaking about Russell Wilson being 34 years old. Yeah, we're not talking about him having, having the physical stature, possibly to have the impact at an advanced age as someone like a Tom Brady is. But, I mean, we're, we're not speaking about a 41, 40, 39-year-old Russell Wilson. This is going to be a situation where Wilson's going to have about three or four years to get the job done with a team in the Denver Broncos moving forward. And the Broncos, Denver did what they had to do. If, you, if you're taking a look at the quarterbacks that have been Starting for Denver since the Broncos won the Super Bowl with Peyton Manning hanging, hanging on for dear life in 2016. Since then, you've had Brock Osweiler, Trevor, Trevor Simeon, Simmons, excuse me, Pat, uh, Paxton Lynch, Case Keenum, Joe Flacco, Drew Locke, Teddy Bridgewater. Hey, man, you know it, it, it's it's a situation where it's about time that they uh, get it right and they uh, do something in terms of. Uh, getting themselves a franchise quarterback. Now, is Russell Wilson the quarterback when you're speaking about two or three years down the road where I think Denver will have a really good chance to uh, do some things? I think as of right now, Denver, especially in the AFC West, is going to have a difficult time getting into the playoffs. Each one of the teams that we're speaking about in that division, albeit you know, the, the, the division that's going to be the toughest in football, but when you're speaking about Kansas City, when you're speaking about the Chargers and Los Angeles, when you're speaking about um, the Chargers the uh, and the Las Vegas Raiders and such, each one of those teams have deficiencies, of course. That being said, don't think that Denver's going to be able to make the playoff. They're going to be good. I think they're going to win 9 or 10 games. But you take a look at the AFC Conference. I mean, I don't think Denver yet is ready to compete for, for championships. Does Russell Wilson have enough in the tank did the organization have the right plan set to make the Denver Broncos be relevant in terms of championship opportunities in the next two to three years? That's going to be the key for Denver. When you secure the cornerback position, which is the hardest to get, and while Wilson might not be that guy that he was five, six, seven years ago, especially from a physical standpoint, I think that this was the right move to make for the Broncos in you know, you worry about the cap situations and, and all those type of things, you know, five, six years down the road when either you'll have a championship or you'll have Super Bowl appearances or you'll have AFC championship appearances to uh, contemplate whether we should move on with this or what else we should do about that. So there you go. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us just to make the, just to put the uh, period on the uh, sentence speaking about the Denver Broncos. Denver had the one double digits since they won the Super Bowl in the 2016 season. So we're speaking about should Denver have uh, signed an extension with Russell Wilson? I think that is the answer right there. Jimmy Garoppolo staying with the San Francisco 49ers for now. Again, according to ESPN's Adam Schefter on Monday, 
Garoppolo and the Niners agreed to a restructured one-year contract, which is worth $6.5 million in a fully guaranteed base salary. The new look deal also contains another $500,000 in roster bonuses and playtime bonuses that could boost it by another $9 million or so, which could add up to a total of $16 million if all the bonuses are reached. Believe me, unless Trey Lance gets uh, injured, none of those bonuses will be reached because I still think that... Uh, it's a situation where Trey Lance is going to be the starting quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, even though he didn't look world-beating in the preseason. This is now going to be Trey Lance's team, gives Jimmy Garoppolo an opportunity maybe to do what Mitchell Trubisky did in terms of by him not playing, really only added to the intrigue and added to the possibilities of Trubisky getting another opportunity now with the Pittsburgh Steelers to go ahead and try to do some things. Because the last that we saw of Jimmy Garoppolo, he wasn't flailing, he wasn't floundering, he wasn't looking foolish. So this could be a situation where if nothing does happen, if he stays part of the year, all of the year with the San Francisco 49ers, even as a backup, getting spot duty and stuff, this is still a, still a situation where a starting position could open up somewhere down the line. So, yeah, this is a workout. This is a win situation for both teams. And, you know, I, I heard this argument on many of the uh, Talking Head shows about, well, you know, Kyle Shanahan is taking a risk by starting, by, by keeping Garoppolo around because, you know, if Trey Lance doesn't look good, then the locker room could, uh, you know, start a fear or, you know, kind of do what AEW's locker room was doing with uh, CM Punk is starting to revolt and starting to uh, have some backlash and, you know, we're not winning games with Trey Lance and we got a guy here, Jimmy Garoppolo, who led us to the uh, championship game and he's a competent quarterback and why is he not in and he should be starting and it could be a division in the locker room and and all this kind of stuff. And, and I'm thinking, you know, if what happens if, you know, are they going to replace Trey Lance? What happens if, you know, a couple of games and Trey Lance doesn't do well and People are going to be calling for Garoppolo and the players are going to be calling for Garoppolo and the media and the fans are going to be calling for Garoppolo and blah, blah. Like, hey, man, I mean, you really think that Kyle Shanahan is going to bow down to media and fans? Of course not. You really think that in his first year as the quarterback of a team, after essentially not playing for two years, one his rookie year and the last year in college because of COVID, and everything that the 49ers did to acquire the draft capital that they gave up to acquire, Trey Lance, that all of a sudden, four or five games into his NFL career, they're going to pull the plug already? Now, Kyle Shanahan, one of the best minds in the NFL as far as the offensive side of the football is concerned, that three or four games into... Trey Lance's essential rookie year that he's going to already determine that he's not the guy and go for a guy and put in a guy that he didn't want in the first place? That's what the plan is for San Francisco? No. No. Now, if Trey Lance, I mean, God willing, I hope it doesn't happen, but if Trey Lance suffers an injury, it gives the 49ers some really good insurance to say that, hey, we got a quarterback who has been successful with our team who knows our who knows our um, playbook and knows the team and knows the coaches and such. So we'll still be on the path to uh, be competing for elite status and championship status as such. 
But this is not going to be a situation where Trey Lance is going to have a bad game or a bad game or two, and then all of a sudden Kyle Shanahan is going to go, oh, sorry, we're going to go ahead and make a change. No, this is Kyle Shanahan's guy. Kyle Shanahan drafted this guy. This isn't this isn't to a tongue of Iloa with Brian Flores in Miami, where Flores didn't want the guy to begin with. I mean, this is Trey Lance. This is um, this is um, Trey Lance. This is um, Mike Shanahan. This is Mike Shanahan's reputation of being an offensive guru and genius on the line here. He's not going to. He's going to admit defeat two or three games into his NFL career. It's not going to be happening. Not going to be happening. I, I I thought that was a little bit foolish, and. I guess should be the locker room should have the understanding that this is the way it's going to be. And if you try to be a cancer, if you call, if you try to make a riff, if you try to divide the locker room, then you'll be gone real fast because John Lynch and, and Shanahan kind of run the show when it comes to that type of nonsense. So it's not going to be a situation where, uh, Mike Shanahan is going to be bowing down to uh, Shanahan is going to be bowing down to uh, Kyle Shanahan. When I say Mike Shanahan, sorry, Kyle Shanahan is going to be bowing down to you know uh, pressure from the players. He'll just get rid of the guys who are causing the pressure. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Real quick, let me go ahead and hit this because I'm hitting a minute twenty mark, hour twenty mark. Tom Brady returns to Tampa Bay. Brady's back since. Late, he's been there since late August after taking an 11-day absence for personal reasons. What were the personal reasons? Well, reports from page six. And by the way, I hate doing this shit. I hate fucking doing this shit. I mean, whatever is going on in Tom Brady's personal life, that's his business. I don't want to know his business. I don't care about his business. I don't want to know what's happening with his kids. I don't want to know what's happening with his wife. I don't. That's between him and his family and those close to him. I hate doing this shit. I hate doing this shit. But if it's somehow, some way going to affect his play on the field, I have to report it. From page six, Brady and his wife, Giselle Bunchen are in the middle of an epic fight about his decision to unretire from the NFL. That's what his personal reasons in terms of why he had to take an 11-day break. Reports say that she's left the family compound in Tampa for a trip to Costa Rica. Where are the kids? Reports from sources, Tom and Giselle are in a fight right now. There's been trouble in the marriage over his decision to unretire, Giselle has always been the one with the kids. They hadn't agreed. They had agreed he would retire to focus on the family. Then he changed his mind. A third uh, source claimed that the couple have a fiery relationship and that Giselle is a bit hot-headed. I don't know, I don't know about that. One of the page six sources also notes after Tom unretired, Giselle also went back to work. Quote, it's almost like Giselle was like, well, if you're going to keep playing so will i she's resentful that tom is still the football superstar i don't i don't know what's going on i don't really know that's between them so i don't really care to really know any more about this the only thing is that will that have any type of impact in terms of if you're at home and you've got this negative atmosphere about why did you retire and then unretire or basically why are you unretiring and who knows, man? I mean, you know, you look. I mean, Giselle's like, look, man. You know, you're out there playing football and doing your type of things. I'm up here raising the kids. I mean, maybe I want to have a situation where maybe I want to get back to what I'm doing. And maybe part of the plan for you to retire was to maybe become, you know, a, a, a daddy to the kids while I go ahead 
and pursue some of the goals and aspirations that I want to achieve in my business. Now, I can't do that, and I'm a fashion model, so, you know, this is not a situation where I'm going to be 60 or 70 years old, and I'm going to be saying, hey, kids are out of the household now, and I'm going to go ahead and start doing my thing. I mean, when you're depending upon your beauty, right, there's only a certain amount of time that you have to be a quote-unquote supermodel. So, yeah, Giselle's like, look, I'm not getting any younger here. And, uh, you know, your timeline for doing such in terms of an NFL quarterback kind of coincides with my timeline for doing what I want to do to be a, you know, be a hot stinking model and be walking up and down the, uh, walking up and down the, the, the runway. So you were the one that was going to kind of step back and let me do my thing. And now you're like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to go back to playing football. And you're like, well, goddamn, man, you know what? Supermodel here kind of missed that. You know, being a, being a mom, great, wonderful, but, uh, Miss being that supermodel, and you're doing your thing. So, you know, let me tell you something. Before there was Tom Brady, there was Giselle Bunchton. I don't know what that means. But, uh, you know, look, it, whatever, whatever, whatever. That's up between them. I don't really want to know. I really don't care. Um, the thing, again, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and their desire to win another championship, and what, I don't know, I, I mean, it could be, should be Tom Brady's last year. I don't know. That's up to him. But uh, it's a situation where it's kind of like, hey, look, man, I mean, you know, no distractions. Very few distractions. What do we hate? What do coaches hate? What do players hate? What do coaches and players always get on the media about? You guys bring up uh, issues or you guys bring up stuff that's going to take away game preparation. That's going to be uh, an annoyance in terms of us being focused on what we need to do, which is to win football games. Now, Brady, from all reports, is laser focused, has always been laser focused. You don't win six or seven Super Bowls and reach the Super Bowl ten times and do the things that he's done without being laser focused and all those type of things. But 45 years old, man, shit changes. Now you're talking about, I don't know how old his kids are, but if they're going to be in, going into puberty, if they're going to be going into high school, I mean, that's a whole new set of things. I don't know. I'm not a father. But what fathers have told me is that, hey, man, you know, when your kids get older and all that type of stuff and as we get older, it, you know, shit changes. You know, things start becoming more important than uh, they were back when you were in your 20s and 30s and and Giselle was taking care of the kids and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, it's a situation where it's how much of that distraction is going to affect Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, especially when you're speaking about an offensive line where three of the starters are out. Ryan Jensen, one of the best centers in the game, is going to be out indefinitely because of a knee. You're speaking about Chris Godwin coming back from a serious injury. You're speaking about Mike Evans, who is inconsistent when you're speaking about him staying healthy. You're speaking about now um, a new coach, even though um, the defensive coordinator, uh, Todd Bowles, was there uh, last year. So the acclimation to that position should be seamless. Him having head coaching experience with the New York Jets, but still as a new face as far as the head of the table is concerned for the organization. How will, How is all of this going to play when we're speaking about uh, the chances of the Buccaneers winning a Super Bowl when, in fact, I mean, you're speaking about some teams in the NFC and the NFL in general who has gotten themselves much better to win a Super Bowl themselves. So we will... We will see. All right, I'm out of here. Good to uh, be doing this. Wonderful to be doing this. <sighs> Thank you so much. Um, yeah, really not too much to say except go ahead and um, <laughs> go ahead and uh, subscribe, rate, review, enjoy all of those good things. Comments, everything would be needed. All those things would be uh, would be uh, thoughtful of you. So yeah, 
good to go. Let me go ahead and enjoy my Labor Day week and get ready for uh, Clemson versus Georgia Tech, whoever they're playing. Looking forward to it. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports, be good to each other. Please, can we go ahead, make sure that we're judging people based on who they are as human beings, not by the color of their skin, not by their gender, not by their... Not by who they love, not by which God they worship, if they worship a God at all. Can we just kind of like judge people on their hearts and their willingness to love and to respect all of those just based on who they are? We could do that, man, for our kids. Be so much better. Get us into heaven and do all that good stuff, huh? So let's go ahead and do that. Listen, learn, shut up, listen, and learn for those of a different background, different race, different gender, different side of the tracks, different side of the world, different financial background, do all those things. We could do that. It would be awesome. Wendell's World and Sports, get me out of here with some music. Music. 